Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Bring yourself back online. No one knows what I'm thinking. Tell us what you think of your world. This is just a cheap trick. Some people choose to see the ugliness in this world. The disarray. I choose to see the beauty. Hello and welcome back to Still Watching Westworld. I'm Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm Vanity Fair chief critic Richard Lawson. We are here today to talk about Season 3, Episode 4 of Westworld called The Mother of Exiles. Um, if you were just joining us for the first time on Still Watching, what Richard and I do is watch one TV show sort of obsessively. Well, it's not the only show we're watching. We watch plenty of things, but this is the one we've chosen to discuss right here and right now. Uh, Westworld. We are not going to spoil anything that happens in a future episode. Point of fact, Richard and I have not seen any other episodes of Westworld. We are all caught up with you, our listeners. So... Here we are in the dark, groping around. Our loop has ended like, or whatever. <laughs> we're, or like, we're out in like the, William, yeah. just sort of sh- shooting at mirrors in our, in our mansion. Um, so there you go. Uh, this is an episode with a big reveal to it. We find out like who all of Dolores's, uh, agents in the field are. They are, well, except for one, they're still a mystery, but the other ones are all Dolores. So that's like the big thing that happens in this episode. Richard, do you have any thoughts off the bat about that uh, about that reveal? It's one of those things where you see like a sci-fi movie with like an omni- omniscient being who, you know, um, I'm oh, I guess I'm thinking of of um, Doctor Manhattan in Watchmen, the recent HBO series, uh, uh-huh. and I guess the comic books too, probably. But like where he's like, I'm experiencing the future and the past all at the same time. Like you know, my consciousness. It contains, you know, is like multi-dimensional or whatever. Um, I feel like does do all of these Dolores bots share a kind of hive consciousness where they can see what all the others are doing at any given time, or is it like different recordings of Dolores? You know what I mean? Like, like everything up to a point is the same, and then everything after that point is different. You know what I mean? Um. 
Interesting. Uh, I think the implication, like if we, if we look back at episode three, uh, which was the Charlotte Hale focused episode, knowing what we know now, knowing that it's Dolores inside there, then I think my interpretation of that, like first scene where we see her like sort of waking up and being confused and her progression through the episode to the point where she likes throttles a pedophile is sort of like watching a more innocent Dolores sort of like uh rancher's daughter Dolores uh like progress to predator within the arc of one episode versus over the course of season one which is what we watched Evan Rachel Wood do does that make sense so yeah. it's sort of mm-hmm. like she was like newborn Dolores and then became like advanced Dolores so they are all Dolores that, in yeah. spirit but they are different consciousnesses in their current forms, right? I don't think, yeah, they're not like a hive mind because we've watched Dolores, like, give, she gives them command, like, Dolores Prime uh, is what I've decided right. I want to call her. We've watched her, like, give commands to, like, Charlotte and Connells and stuff like that who have Dolores consciousnesses inside of them. So I think what we are going to see, what I anticipate we're going to see is like the Charlotte version of Dolores, like because of her connection to this kid, maybe or something like that, have you know emerge with a different view of humanity than Dolores Prime. You know what I mean? Like right, because ex- experience informs sort of where you land. And the interesting thing about that, then potentially going forward, is we could get to a point where one Dolores disagrees with the other Dolores, and then it's yes. Dolores on Dolores on Dolores. Melee, maybe that's where this season's headed. <laughs> I would love that. A like uh, uh like a um, Kill Bill melee, but with all Dolores's. Yeah. That would be great. I mean the, the Charlotte the Charlotte version of Del- like Musashi who shows up at the end of this episode and Connell's who both have Dolores inside of them are not really like characters so far, at least. You know what I mean? But the Charlotte version of Dolores given what we saw in episode three and even like some of the stuff in this episode, like that feels more like a character with her own growth. The other two feel like sort of dutiful soldiers. Right. And then the Charlotte one is, is the like, is the, is the wild card because of this like experience she's having as, as a mother here. Um, all right. So if you, uh, we are going to get into all of this in a little bit more detail, but first I want to like hit some emails that you guys, uh, sent us. You can always email us still watching pod at gmail.com. This first email comes from Kyle. He's the title of his email is the divergence was love. <laughs> and he says, you two joked last week that Sirak detected a divergence that he assumes it's Dolores, but maybe it's love. And I got a good laugh from that comment at the time, but I kind of think that might be right. Love is a force that defies Robohm's algorithms. Arnold and Dolores, Maven, her daughter, Dolores and Caleb, question mark. The more I watch the Ciroc scene in episode two, the more it seems he's just asserting that it's Dolores and that's just an assumption. It seems like it's setting us up for it to either be Bernard or something like love. We shall see. Uh, regarding this week's episode, so episode three, totally agree that it's not telling, that not telling us who's in Charlotte body is such a frustrating choice. Maybe you two knew something about future episodes, but I'm withholding judgment on the Charlotte motherhood softening because maybe the parent child element is very relevant to the entity in Charlotte's body and Charlotte's son is necessary for that plot to work. I feel like Abernathy is the only option that makes sense. So I don't know. So that's from Kyle. I don't know how Kyle feels now that he knows that it's Dolores inside Charlotte's body, but this idea that like, the show, I get really distrustful anytime Westworld 
seems to be very obviously pointing in one direction because then I'm like waiting for them to be like, JK, <laughs> it was something else. Um, and so I agree with him that like, uh, Ciroc saying very confidently that like, there's a divergence here or like, here's the divergence here in this house three months ago, which is what he says to Maeve in this episode, episode four. Our assumption is that he's talking about Dolores, but I kind of like the idea of it. Maybe it's the Charlotte thing waking up, or maybe it's the Bernard, uh, Bernard Arnold sort of thing. Like there's, there are some wildcard options on the table that are not Dolores there. You know what I mean? I mean, there was a flash in this episode of Bernard remembering Arnold's son or or child. Yeah. So like Mm -hmm. that, that whole past stuff is not dead. It's still in play just as it is for, um, Maeve and anyone else. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's interesting to me. And, and like, okay. So based on that, we got, we got this email from Janessa. She, she writes, uh, Bernard's Pearl. Did I see something that was not there or did I miss it being talked about on the podcast? But Dolores, when she was waking up, quote unquote, Charlotte, there were a bunch of pearls on the table and the one she put into the computer was Bernard. So if she has Bernard, who is Bernard? If it's the Bernard we have seen, are there two different time realities? The show never ceases to confuse me. So I think what Janessa is missing there uh, maybe is that that was like a flashback. That was like before Dolores printed a Bernard body, she had the pearl. But something we maybe didn't talk about last week is that the, you know, when she, in episode three, when she lays those pearls out on the table, the one for Bernard is uh, a mixture of colors. It's gray and red. And the red pearl is for human consciousness and the gray pearl is for host consciousness. So the fact that Bernard has like a swirly one <laughs> inside of his head means exactly what you're saying, Richard, that he's part Arnold part bernard it's sort of like a confusing right a hybrid and um, and we see this um yeah. con- this kind of narrative construction again in this episode where um you know uh we, we go back to the moment when um you know uh all these people were created in the real world in this house in singapore um and so it, it just ties to the series the season finale from last season right like in theory, she's having these conversations and then going downstairs, talking to Bernard and then walking out of the house. And that's how season two ends. Right. Right. That she's, um, having a conversation with Charlotte. Yeah. She like, she wakes up the Charlotte bot and then she makes the Bernard. Right. And then they, they go downstairs cause the Charlotte bot was down there. Right. Um, and then walk out of the house. Yeah. That's a sequence. So we're watching like sort of season, season two, uh, ending material. All right. So something <clears throat> I want to bring up this email that we got from this uh, listener, Ryan. Um, because I think, so what you, <laughs> you and I, when we pick these seasons of television to talk about, we obviously always want to pick seasons of television that we are extremely excited, uh, to talk about. Right. And, um, I, I, you know, despite the fact that we're like a little down on the season, I think there's still enough, like the Westworld is always like doing something interesting. Even if it's always not doing something I, I'm like particularly delighted that it's doing, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I don't have regrets around us picking Westworld, but just so people know, like we pick these things in advance and we don't know how it's going to shake out. And obviously we would prefer to talk about a show that we are like over the moon about. That's more fun for us to talk about. Um, 
<clears throat> but uh, you know, we're we're somewhere for me at least. I'm somewhere in the middle here with Westworld season three, and um, so Ryan wrote in um, <laughs> an email that <laughs> that goes. Stop wanting, quote unquote, an actual television show that makes sense, <laughs> you elites. Um, and then he wrote, okay, but seriously, I love both of y'all and I completely understand your criticisms on stuff like, oh, it sucks to not understand what Tessa Thompson is doing and I don't know what the hell is going on. Like, yes, okay, no, that didn't make sense, but, and it's probably bad writing, but, who cares? It's Westworld. I'm being flippant, but I also do think it's important to take into account both Nolan's love of nonlinear storytelling and Lisa Joy's background with poetry. Yes, in a movie form, it's more satisfying to have these questions answered, but I think for the past two seasons, at least, Lisa Joy and Jonah Nolan have been very purposely taking away those answers, and I think instead of fighting that and wanting more information, I found myself simply going along with those choices and focusing on the narrative arcs they're trying to tell. I don't even know who Dolores is at this point. Like, are we watching Wyatt? But I'm still quite emotionally engaged with whoever is being currently embodied in Evan Rachel Wood's performance, likewise for Tessa Thompson's character. <clears throat> Isn't it more interesting to pose the questions as to why they make the available information of these characters so heavily tied to context in the situations they find themselves, uh, not based on who they are or were or human egocentric notions of self? I find it more fun to see if they're playing with ideas about what we cinematically accept as real uh, and what that tells us about what we find real. Like if all three of these storylines are a simulation, I don't know if that's my favorite option right now, but I don't want watch Westworld to find emotional resonance. I guess I watch Westworld to be confused and see weird shit and not understand what's going on. If I start being able to follow what the hell is happening, then they're selling out in my opinion. <laughs> Hope you're staying safe. Thanks for the pod. Uh, so, you know, Ryan, Ryan has found uh, an approach to Westworld that works for him. Uh, Richard, do you have any thoughts about like what we might let go of expectations wise or how we might reframe the discussion um, or if we need to at all? Well, I mean, I think, you know, we are in a, in a, we're looking at this thing from a different angle than, um, someone else is and so on and so on, you know, and our particular angle ha- happens to be one of coverage. I had to watch the first four episodes to review it. And then we're doing this podcast week to week. I mean, no one's holding a gun to our head, obviously where we, we opted into this. Um, yeah. but, but, but I think, but like the, the, the way in which we watch the show to kind of creates a different need for things than, more casually watching it or whatever, you know? Um, yeah. And so if it sounds like we're being too hard or asking too much of a series that, you know, at its best is just v- elusive and beautiful to look at and offers some compelling ideas about technology and the future and all that. Um, it's because I think that you and I are hungry for like data points with which to kind of, you know, to kind of grab onto, to talk about, you know? Um, so I think if anything, uh, we could be a little bit more, uh, aware of, of, uh, of, you know, obviously attending to our needs from the show, but also like maybe not, uh, stating them so plainly. I guess we could, we could sort of more blend it into the, the general appreciation of the show. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, The New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, and I mean, like, I I appreciate that Ryan was like, this has been my approach 
because uh, you know there's definitely people who get um <clears throat> are a little less kind when our opinion does not align with theirs um so i appreciate that ryan's just like hey this is this is what i found works for me watching westworld um i think for me uh when i watch a show any show I need that emotional investment and I know that's not true for every person. Like some people just love to watch like the spectacle of something or some people just love uh, a puzzle box or, or whatever the case may be. And I just feel the need to emotionally attach. And that's something that we talked about in last week in terms of like what works twist wise uh, in TV and film. And for me, it's like an emotional payoff that comes with the sort of logic payoff. And in season one, I felt that with the William arc, like the idea that Jimmy Simpson and Ed Harris are playing the same character that carries an emotional weight to me that I find really interesting. Um, a tragic, like emotional weight to me. And, you know, knowing that last week Tessa Thompson was doing Dolores, but not knowing that at the time that revelation doesn't carry any sort of emotional impact for me in, in the rear view. And that's something I need. And it's not something everyone needs as a TV viewer. So, all right. Well, <clears throat> let that, thank you for your emails. Please continue to email us still watching pod at gmail.com. Love your theories, love your thoughts, love your feedback. Um, as we journey into the mystery, cause we have a lot of questions. Like we don't know who this final host is that Dolores, uh, 3d printed out of some white goop. Um, do you have any, do you want to offer, do you feel like offering a theory, Richard? How do you feel about that? Oh, I mean, I really couldn't even, I couldn't even begin to guess, which I guess is fun. You know, um, yeah. I'm sure there are fan theories out there because yes, yeah. Cause she took five, right. And four accounted for. Right. So we've got, uh, Connell's. Yeah. Musashi. Yeah. Uh, Charlotte and Arnold and Ber- Bernard. Bernard. Yeah. Yeah. Arnold. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, I, uh, yeah. I would assume and I would hope that, um, they are holding out for something really shocking and, and cool, um, in terms of a reveal. But I don't know. Are, I mean, do you have a theory? Are there theories out there? Um, I'm sure there are plenty of theories out there. Um, I think, you know, one, maybe one could wonder, is it William? Like, cause you know, the whole thing in this episode is William is still in the midst of his like spiraling. Am I a host or am I a human thing? So like, you know, could it be William? But my answer to that is if it were William, then that would be a red pearl, not a gray pearl. Um, I think it would be most, um, I can't think of any host, non Dolores host that would be satisfying. So let's assume it's Dolores's pearl. So then it's just the body that would be satisfying to us. Um, so who, like whose body do we want to see? I mean, okay, a couple options. Um, Dolores could make something that could really mess with William, right? So, um, is it Emily? Does it look like Emily? Does it look like, uh, his wife, Juliet? Like, do, you know, something like that. Or does it look like young William? So it's Jimmy Simpson, like, uh, would that mess with him? Like, what, you know, how could she mess with him the best? So that's one option. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Another option is, you know, the, the two other sort of, uh, antagonist factors that she has here. One is Bernard and one is Maeve. And we saw like the Musa, the choice to use Musashi, uh, seems like it was, targeted to sort of disarm Maeve mm-hmm, in a way, mm-hmm. right? 
because she has a personal connection with that um character so like is there another person who could disarm Maeve in that way and like my best guess in that regard would be someone who looks like clementine maybe yeah. or hector even yeah um and then uh for bernard you know there's um <clears throat> there's a few options i guess like the uh, they wouldn't do his his son because uh, they can't because it's been like five years since they filmed season one of Westworld. Um, but maybe they could do like Elsie, Shan Woodward's character, um, or something like that. But my, my main guess would be Clementine. My secret hope, even though it doesn't necessarily make sense, uh, is that it's for some reason Ben Barnes. <laughs> like what yeah, if it's that, Ben I mean, Barnes? That would be, that would be really fun. Yeah. Oh, I did so, write an episode of this season, There's... so so we'll, you'll you'll see. <coughs> the Lo- the Logan episode, can't wait, yeah. can't wait for it. But yeah, I mean, I, like you know, it seems like though she doesn't. The the question of like messing with William doesn't really seem that um, urgent to her because she has, you know, at the end of the episode, the sh- the Charlotte sort of version of Dolores kneels down and injects something into him. I don't know what she did, but like some sort of dark material into um, his neck, uh, which seemed to me to be related to some of the delusions he was having at the end of this episode, though he's been having delusions throughout the episode. So I don't know why she needed to do that, but something has been put inside his body. And so it makes me feel like they don't need any kind of like host body to mess with William. He's doing fine on his own. That way, Yeah, no, he's, know? he's pretty, pretty um, squared away, I think. So what did you think? This So this is, um, you know, Ed Harris was, uh, you know, like Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins and Ed Harris were, like, two, two of the biggest, like, features of the first season. You know, Anthony Hopkins was back for, like, basically, essentially a cameo in season two and may or may not be in the season at all. I would guess not. Um, Ed Har- This is the first Ed Harris episode of the season. Mm-hmm. See, episode four mm-hmm. is our first Ed Harris episode. So, you know, what is it like to have him back? And does the show, does the show miss him when he's gone? Does it need William, um, at the center of it? I don't think so. I think, he, I think we got everything out of that character that we needed to in, in two seasons, you know, that, um, mm-hmm. this was someone who, you know, dove into a project that was, a bit, you know, ungodly and, and had terrible implications and then got swallowed by it, you know, and we've seen that narrative before. I think it's effectively done, um, in, in the previous two seasons and in this episode, um, tormented by mistakes, you know, watching as the thing, you know, declares him insane and has him carted off and he completely loses control over it for good. Um, I feel like his portion of whatever grand allegory, uh, Westworld is doing has kind of concluded in a way yeah and to that end i'm curious what he's even doing here (laughs) you know what i mean like it feels like he's back where he was in the last like couple episodes of season two um which is this like i killed my daughter am i real am i not so like we have not moved out of that tailspin that he's in yeah and i think that like Um, that's why at the end when she says welcome to the end of the game that's his punishment that's where that's that's where he has to live with you know that that like unknowingness 
um, until he dies. If he does die, maybe he is in a robot body. Who knows? But like, I think that like her final punishment to him is to put him in his own loop, you know, and, right. and his loop is just like agony and grief and guilt and uh, kind of the madness of not knowing if he is who he is. And what's most, you know, to, to go back to that idea of emotional satisfaction, what's most emotionally satisfying to me is the idea that he is human. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. him being a host is not very interesting to me. No, because but it doesn't it wouldn't mean anything really. Exactly. But him being a human who has been so infected by his own uncertainty that he did this like awful thing and murdered his daughter tragically and now is stuck forever in a hell of his own making wondering if he's real or not. Um, that's much more interesting than, uh, you know, I guess I suppose something Dolores could do because, you know, Dolores can do it all, um, is put his consciousness in a robot body. So that torment, that looping torment is something that goes on literally forever. You know what I mean? And that was sort of the implication of the end of credit sequence at the end of season two, where William is in the like forge and Emily's there and she says, you know, he's been there for a very, very long time. The question this uh, episode inserts into the whole thing is, was that just a delusion? Like all of his Emily based delusions in this episode, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the thing about it, like if it was, a, if it was a consciousness that was uploaded or whatever, like it's, that's not exactly him then, you know, it's right. a version of that might believe it's that thing. But in that, if that was the case, then Dolores is almost punishing something else and not the actual person. And, um, right. Which is just not as satisfying to me. No, no. And I, and I, and I don't, you know, not to like, you know, assume character motivations of a fake person, but, or fake robot or whatever. But like, I just don't think that's a Dolores thing to do. You know, I think she, uh, she keenly understands that difference and, and, and wants to get it right, uh, in terms of vengeance. So speaking of vengeance, uh, Maeve is on a journey in this episode. Uh, she spends more time with Ciroc. She, you know, we find out that Paris, uh, is gone. <laughs> um, yeah, because of seemingly Paris. some sort of epidemic. Hmm. Well, yeah, I like, couldn't tell if it was like an epidemic or like a nuclear bomb. Uh, you know, there were definitely hazmat suits involved. So that's good. And a dead good deer uh, who maybe died of the, de- oh. yeah, yeah. Got it. I don't, it's it felt like um, the the fallout of a disease, you know. Um, but uh, you know, this is all speculative fiction. The real world could never be laid low by something like that, so we shouldn't worry about it. But um, you know, that would never happen uh, in the real world. Um, but it, yeah, so that was like a totally not depressing, scary thing to see. It's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> so Paris is gone. Paris is burnt. Forget Paris, um, as Billy Crystal once said. Yep. <laughs> and yeah, and Deborah Winger. Yes, Billy Crystal and Deborah Winger said that. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, they have this, uh, you know, lovely meal. Uh, they go, they interrogate someone. Sorak shoots him. Great stuff. Love to see it. Um, and then Maeve goes on this little quest. She goes on this quest. She meets this character called the Mortician. And then she goes to find the head of this, like, Yakuza operation. And lo and behold, it's Musashi. Um, 
but it's actually Dolores. And then they have this fight. And the Yakuza so, like, is what- like uh, apparently either manufacturing or hoarding, uh, you know, robot goop. Yeah, so that's so funny because like that's something I like. I feel uh, so dumb because someone else uh, suggested that to me, and I like it didn't even occur to me. Like I just assumed, okay, because uh, Musashi's going by the name Sato in in, in his like mm-hmm. yakuza uh, disguise, and Sato is the name of a kind of like rice beer that's made from like sticky, like glutinous rice goop. So I was like, oh, it's just rice goop. And then someone's like, no, that's that's host goop. And I was like, because uh, I knew that that was like the imagery they were going for. But I thought it was just like, uh, anyway, I think you're right. You're the second person to bring that up to me. So I'm, I'm sure it's right. And I just like missed it. But anyway, they, they seem to be like manufacturing, bootlegging, smuggling, perhaps host goop. So perhaps and- for a, a big army plan that Dolores has. Right. Have. And the question is, was the Yakuza doing that already? Um, you know, and then Dolores just kind of took over the operation or did Sato Dolores decide to make the Yakuza do that? Either way, it seems to confirm, which I think had been something of a question mark if she was in fact planning to build an army, you know? Um, and it seems, yes, that is indeed what is happening. The question is like, what's going to be inside that army is it just like an army of Dolores's or are these goops is the goop for you know she talks the the Musashi figure says to Maeve there's room for everyone in this new world we're building for your daughter for etc so like because she stored all these consciousness to the valley beyond right like Mm -hmm. Dolores is the key to robot heaven where all the you know Teddy's there Maeve's daughter's there blah blah I thought they were like gone for good but perhaps Dolores' plan is to download them and put them in, in fresh goop uh, that she is smuggling out of Japan. Um, I don't think that Yakuza was doing that before. I, I feel like the implication, if that is indeed goop, is that it's like at Musashi's sort of insistence that they're doing it. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Uh, what do you make of like what... Uh, what... So like he, he stabs Maeve. And then he's like kneeling over her and he looks like he's going to like cut the back of her head open and maybe like take her pearl and then like doesn't because Sorok's men are there. That seems to me to be like, I, I I don't understand that move on Dolores's part. Like if she literally doesn't have time, she literally doesn't have time. But like, why don't you just scoop up the Maeve body and take it? Like if the pearl is important to you, if you don't want Maeve to be controlled by Sorok, uh, then why not just like scoop up the Maeve corpse and run or something like that? Like to leave her there means that Sorak can just like revive her. Right. In theory. Right. So like, yeah. I didn't, that didn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, all right. So, um, and, and you know, this is all terribly stylish, like the, the fight between Maeve and Masashi and, and the other Yakuza um, is, you know, some fun Westworld stuff. Uh, some fun stuff for Tanny Newton to do. So, um, the mortician stuff is less like that just felt like, I'm like, what, what are we, what are we doing? Where are we going? What's, what's happening sort of thing. But once, once Musashi shows up, that's like, that's fun. And I, I liked the way the revelation happens across all the different plot lines. Like as much as I don't love this Dolores reveal, I do like the way that it was done. Like almost like dominoes falling across the various plot lines. You know what I mean? 
Right. Yeah. No. Exactly. It. Um. It. it the, the, the script synced up well that way. You know, that was clever. Um. You know, I'm glad that each of them didn't say Dolores. You know, like I like we we got that once, but <laughs> if all three had yeah. done it, that would have been a bit silly. But um. Yeah. It, it was a good moment, and it felt like um. You know, like old Westworld. It felt it felt like um, like a kind of poetic grand convergence sort of moment. Can I tell you about this Easter egg I found that I'm really proud of? Yes, please. <laughs> um, I need my my little pleasures. Um, so the 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 place where they have where the yakuza uh, is, I guess, smuggling goop. Uh, there's a sign. And it says um, Itai Doshin uh, Distillery. Uh, please forgive my Japanese accent or lack thereof. Um, Itai Doshin. Uh, it's printed as one word, but it's a two word. Uh, Buddhist concept, uh, Itai Doshin, uh, which means to be of the same mind, even though we are many in body. So that's, uh, you know, mm. that's a little like, it's all Dolores's mind, mm-hmm. even though it's in different bodies, sort of like Easter egg. And I think I I like that's that pretty cool, um, that they put that in there. That's, that's a really fun. I'm like, yeah, Westworld, you're fun. <laughs> you have fun. Um, all right. So then the other plot, uh, you know, maybe we talked about William and Charlotte. We talked about Maeve. The other main plot is, is Caleb and Dolores and Bernard and Stubbs and how they all sort of collide at this, uh, you know, uh, prostitution auction for charity, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> over, over, uh, you know, wanting to grab hold of John Gallagher Jr. Who doesn't? So, um, this was, this also felt like, uh, old school Westworld to me, which is sort of Dolores's point where she was like, I've been told your world is so different, but it's exactly the same as mine. And we get this like, you know, debauched, uh, thing that could come out of like any of the stuff that we've seen, uh, in the outer fringes of the various parks. Uh, so what, what did you think of this, this party sequence and everything that happens there? I mean, I thought the party sequence was interesting. I, I, I like the, that the show, um, has a pretty strong, like, thematic conviction that um that wealth in in the future is like a complete horror show you know like not that it isn't now but like um that these people have just completely like morality has atrophied and it's all just like new synthetic drugs and you know supposedly classy events or whatever that are just kind of like sad in a way um you know and i i think the john gallagher's character is interesting in that like we're not rooting for him, but he's not a villain. He's just kind of like one of these people, you know, um, who's you know, kind of an asshole and, you know, whatever, kind of feckless. And um, I think that something I was confused about, though, is later in this whole sequence when, you know, he John Gallagher Jr.'s character runs away and then is caught again by... Um, Caleb and Dolores, why let him go before, you know, I think I was a little confused about the strategy there. Um, I don't think they let him go like Bernard, like basically like Bernard and Stubbs have him because Bernard mistakenly thinks that he's a host, right? That she's, she's replaced Liam instead of Connell's. Right. So Bernard has him. Right. 
And then Connells comes out and tells him to run. That, that's and, what I was confused about. Well, he tell, yeah, well, he tells him to run, but like he knows Caleb is right there, and so and he just wants to deal with Bernard. I see, right? and not clue him in so that there's like he, yeah, right, exactly. So like you run off, yeah, and I mean that's the other thing is like <laughs> Caleb and uh, Liam Dempsey Jr. are witnessing a lot of stuff. I mean, I guess, I guess Richard. Since you and I don't think that extremely uh, lifelike robots exist, we would not be suspicious necessarily of like, but like in a world where Westworld exists, because Liam Dempsey Jr. has been to Westworld, um, you know what I mean? And like, why is he not, why are people not more suspicious that Dolores is a, is a robot is my question. I mean, especially cause like, given everything that they watch her do. And she you keeps know? saying like my world and like, they know that there was a catastrophic event at the park not too long ago. Like, I don't know. I feel like some of these people would be like, um, are there robots here? Like, you know, like did some of them get out? <laughs> um, you know, and I also think that there's a lot of credulousness going into the notion of, yeah, so they built this huge park and they were very lifelike robots and, and whatever, but they only made them in the park. They never made them anywhere else. You know? Like, yeah, don't worry. Like, it's like when, when they cloned Dolly the sheep years ago, they totally yeah. <laughs> cloned a human and there's a 30 year old person living in a bunker under Arizona or something right now. <laughs> of course there is. Of course there is. You know? Who did they clone, Richard? I don't know. Who's, some who's, soldier. Who's clone of? Some, some, you know, pipsqueak soldier or something. I don't you know. You think it's a soldier? You don't think they did, did a FAMO? No, oh, maybe. Uh, maybe. Hmm. Who would, who would have been like a late 90s? famous person maybe it's well is that too soon to say like princess diana anyway uh what a downer joanna um so um yeah it's it's interesting to me one one silver lining to that is is the uh liam's friend his name is rodney i believe uh who is an awful sort of logan-esque uh rich douchebag Nonetheless, seems to be the person the most sort of potentially clued into the fact that Dolores is, that there's something up with Dolores, right? Because like Laura was supposed to, the Laura figure that she was pretending to be was supposed to have died, right? Yeah. They're all consoling Liam because she's allegedly dead or whatever. Uh, and then she's not dead and, and Ronnie's girlfriend like thinks it's the drug she's taken is why she's seeing, uh, this Laura character. But he looked like, what the heck? And then she she tapped the like nucleus incumbents mm-hmm. like part of her head as she like walked past him and stuff like that. And it's just sort of like I feel like if anyone is gonna figure this out, it's gonna be that guy first. Honestly, like he might be like cynical enough or has spent enough time in the park to figure it out. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, no, and I also but, like Rafi Gavron is not like that unknown of an actor that like maybe they are gonna give him more to do. You know, maybe that's why they cast him. Yeah, I don't know. So exactly. Yeah. You don't go from A Star is Born to uh, two scenes in Westworld, bro. And he's in the um, family. Anyway. He's on Rome, you know. Oh, that's right. Um, I loved this. Uh, there's this great, uh, you know, cover of uh, The Weeknd's Wicked Games that plays uh, during the scene and during the fight between Stubbs and Dolores, which I also really loved. I swear I'm not just like tr- 
trying to like uh you know disingenuously talk about only the things i really liked but there is a like there's a lot visually and sort of like action based that i did really like in this episode um like the the way the william delusions are edited together the musashi may fight and the dolores and stubbs fight and the whole like setting of the party that's all stuff that i think was done really, really well, uh, in this episode. Um, but it's just other stuff like the, the, like the little bank heist that they pull off before where like Caleb has this like blood transfusion as to pretend to be someone that just feels completely inert to me. Like I don't feel the tension. I don't feel, I, I usually get really excited and love a heist and I just did not feel that in any way. So that's, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of like, huh, to go with these moments of excitement or beauty. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's where I am. All right. So do you have like, what's your, what are your, some of your biggest questions rolling forward from this episode? Like, what do you most like want to know in episode five? And most, what do you sort of like most want to see in episode five? Um, I would like to s- figure out how they're going to, um, uh, I'd like to see how they're going to use Maeve going forward. You know, because it can't be this constant process of her trying, failing, getting revived by Sirach. You know, like I, like I'm just wondering, like how long she's going to kind of be in his pocket. I know he has a certain technological control over her, but um, so I'll be curious about that. And I'm also curious, like I said, kind of at the top of the episode, like how the other Doloreses are going to interact with each other. You know, um, because if they're all going to be in lockstep, like the kind of two more, like you know, just dutiful soldier ones, or if they're going to be more like um, the Tessa Thompson Charlotte version of Dolores and seem to have their own sort of like dawning personality and agency. Um, I think that this reveal sets up an interesting dialogue potentially about like our notions of self and multiple selves in one body and one mind, you know, um, and uh, even though they're in different bodies, but um, yeah. So I'm curious to see where they go with that idea because they've introduced a big thing. We've never seen this before. Um, So I hope that they don't kind of just you know, ignore its, its bigness, I guess. Yeah, I guess I, I think I had assumed a couple things. I had assumed that it would be Dolores who would have an awakening about humanity that would change her mind. But, um, like via Caleb and that might still happen. Like she said sort of overtly that like she, um, you know, he surprised her and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I have to wonder sort of, to the tune of what we were talking about before, I have to wonder if Charlotte's experience with Nathan, her son, uh, and stuff like that is, is really going to be the more deciding factor in terms of changing a host's mind about humanity and pitting one Dolores against the other. Um, and, and really undermining Dolores's thesis of what humanity is. If, uh, you know, one of her own copies, uh, has a change of heart about it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm curious, I'm curious about Dolores and Maeve because I actually don't see that. I definitely don't see them being antagonists till the end uh, on the season. We only have, uh, you know, we're exactly halfway through the season. So we have four more episodes to go, but I, I really, I'm trying to parse more carefully sort of what Musashi said to her. He said, I don't want Sorak. I can't let Sorak like control you against us basically. But to me, that doesn't mean like Dolores doesn't want Maeve there or or Maeve can't be there. It's she can't have Sirak controlling Maeve. And I feel like a Dolores Maeve 
team up feels so inevitable um, this season. So I'm curious to see how the, how the cards uh, align for that. And what it what you know if there is an inevitable um cataclysmic event that everything is heading towards any way in which that wouldn't be dolores responsible for it because that's the kind of tricksy thing that i'm on the lookout for from westworld like how could it be in what way could it be bernard or something else uh that that's you know him trying to prevent something actually causes something in the end you know right that seems likely. All right. Um, well, that is it. We we have, uh, like I said, not seen any future episodes, so we don't know what's what's a coming. Uh, but we will be here to talk about it. Thank you guys very much for your emails. Stillwatchingpod at gmail dot com is where you can find us. Uh, until then, Richard, where else can folks find us? I'm hoarding. I'm only hoarding my goo. Uh, but I'll <laughs> but my my my, uh, my host goo. Um, but importantly, I will be doing that from the safety of my own home. Uh, and I'll also be tweeting from Rylaws and covering a variety of, <laughs> we're getting down to the barrel, uh, in terms of what I'm covering, uh, street, random streaming things. Um, you know, but we're all, we're making do. How about yourself? Uh, yes, I will be, um, bidding on my favorite prostitute for sale because I don't know if you heard, but all proceeds go to charity. So mm-hmm. it's for a good cause. Um, and so you can find me doing that or uh, you can find me on vanityfair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe wrote this. Uh, and until next week, enjoy your goo and we <laughs> will see you for episode five. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new uh, translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. Really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. (laughs) He can't stop. I mean, and and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. (laughs) (laughs) We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. (laughs) 